Well, thank you, Carl, for uh, inviting us into the Save the Children. And i um, looking forward very much to this. You've had quite a varied career, I see. So what led you into Save the Children? So I, I left, um, yeah, an another change. So I think I, um, I'm fairly impatient as a kind of delivery person. I see that mm. we can get things done mm. quite quickly. And maybe my style didn't quite gel with, um, with the Department for Education. So I got a little bit frustrated in terms of the pace of change. Um, and then I was approached by somebody about an opportunity here at Save the Children. So mm. um, just, you, know, you can't argue with the cause. What they do as an, what we do as an organization is, you know, is very special indeed. Um, mm. So you know, it was just a, a great opportunity and take a, take a function which wasn't really well regarded by the rest of the organization into one which is now you know, delivering many, many things. I think it's been an interesting journey again. Um, so the last three and a half years, we've achieved an awful lot inside the organization um, and with links externally to, to different organizations. So how have you accomplished that change? Because it does seem to have been quite a dramatic um, change in credibility and... Uh yeah, status and so on within the organisation does seem to have been quite a change, doesn't it? Yeah, I think historically there'd been um, you know a fair amount of flux in terms of management, so number of CIOs or oh, CFOs that had been big there. turnover. So, mm. Yeah, so it's a bit of turnover in that respect, um, and a bit of underfunding um, really in terms of technology and the mm. value that it can add. Mm. So, you know, part of what I, I generally like to do when I go new into an organisation is to hear all sides of the story, and mm. that means spending, mm. investing, and in spending the time with the team. Um, and not many people um, will do that other than a you know, kind of exercise in spans and layers. But I think mm. it's important to hear from all levels you know, where they think the team is, what, um, what they enjoy doing, what they don't, don't enjoy doing. And equally with the various stakeholder groups, so different parts of the business, mm. getting mm. to understand from them the frustrations that they've had, you know, what levers you might be able to, to pull there and um, whether there are any quick wins. So it's just a you know, kind of process of going through that and mm. just... Just knowing when to let go on some things um, and then when to fight for others, I think, you know, it stands you in, in good stead. And you know, recently, there lots of conversations around shadow IT. And you know, my view is that, you, you know, we can't do everything in a technology function. Um, mm -hmm. So know about what's going on rather than just deny it happening. Because people will find a way, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, consumerization of technology, the ability to buy cloud services with a credit card or at the the drop of a hat means things people can often you know, get them done very quickly. Whether that's right or wrong um, or not is a different the matter. The only thing I suppose you've got to be concerned about there is, is data security, governance, yeah. information security, governance, exactly. especially with GDPR. Yeah, again. yeah. Which, is, which is why you know, my stance is that um, know about what's going on rather mm. than say no to everything. So if you can uh, wrap a mechanism around that and say, okay, Yes, you know, we have, it, well, we have a technical assurance group, so we, we push requests through that, and whether mm -hmm. that's internal um, to the IT team and it's on our agreed platforms or whether that's outside of that, we will consider everything. Mm. Because at the end of the day, we're here to, to serve the business, and if sure. there's a demand and a need, mm. we'd rather do that within the parameters that we've set for the organization than just say no mm. um, and then have to deal with the consequences later. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a real, real journey, and I think, mm. um, you know, we've... Delivered all sorts of things from, you know, Office 365 migration, um, for full Skype for business, mm. uh, which runs on our um, um, help desk call centers. So when you ring in and want to change your direct debit, that's all run off of our Skype for business um, contact center as well. Through to productivity tools where we're using Windows 10 and we're starting to look at bring your own device strategy, um, you know, kind of in tune. Mm. Mm. Um, protective marking schemes, digital rights management, all those things that, you know, help people do their, their day jobs. Right. Um, through to then business applications, so 
Aggresso rollout for our finance system, um, Oracle HR system we've just implemented last year and we're working on the global rollout of that as well. Um, and then bespoke applications that we use in the field for collecting data on many of the programs that we deliver. So, you know, ones like household economy approach, which looks at what happens when the cost of grain or there are different um, price shocks, what does that do to families in, in mm, Africa? Mm, um, mm. So, you know, there are unique challenges in developing applications there that need to work offline as well as online. Uh, unique scenarios where you know encryption might be illegal in certain countries mm, um, mm. so how do we deal with all those different kind of factors and facets have been quite interesting. So there is quite a, an international dimension to, yeah, to all this. Yeah. Oh. We work closely with Save Children International and other mm -hmm. member countries um, to deliver a portfolio of work but you know, where we're the subject matter experts within the UK we will look to develop applications that support the work that we do on the ground. As I mentioned um, household economy approach, we have a similar one with cost of diets, we've Worked with JP Morgan on a bit of a hackathon for an app that, mm. um, that mm. kind of records baby weights, um, okay. those kind of things, so mm. that we've got, got the analysis. And that's really a you know, kind of key pillar of where we're going in terms of our digital experience, certainly. Mm. Mm. And our supporter engagement is to, to have a much richer relationship with the people that we work with, whether that's donors or, or supporters. Mm. And part of that story has got to be the data collection in the field so that we're able to evidence impact and we're able to, to point to that when we're telling a story. Because at the end of the day, as a charity, we don't really have a physical product to sell. Mm. It's more of an emotional mm. attachment. So mm. you know, that's where we're moving is to a much more richer, rewarding relationship with our supporter base and with our donors. So the, the people that you employ and then the volunteers and the supporters, uh, can you tell me a bit about that, the sort of culture, the culture of the um, organization here and how that uh, works yeah. with, uh, well, what must be a very broad base of volunteers? And it is, yes. Yeah. So we have about uh, just over a 1,000 staff um, in the UK, um, spread across a number of sites. I think we've mm. got six, 700 in the Farringdon office here, mm. Mm. and then we've got other offices up in Scotland and Manchester mm. and, and Wales for particular mm. programs that mm. we're working on. Um, and in terms of the mix, it's um, you know it's a it's a diverse culture within the organisation. We have people from all over the globe mm. uh, working on different programmes, all mm. sorts of different backgrounds, from public sector to private sector, and um, you know startups and large organisations. So there's a real interesting mix of of people. I think at the end of the day, there's a there's a real sense that everybody's pulling together to deliver something special. Um, and we're at our best when there are you know emergencies or whether there are particular sure. schemes that mm. need to deliver. So. I think last year there was a decision taken that we would launch a search and rescue um, boat in the Mediterranean after seeing that you know oh 5,000 people yes. were, Terrible. you know, kind of a, were having trouble, difficulty crossing. So that's not something that's core business, but in terms mm. of mm. us as an organisation, it's real kind of moment. Everybody pulls mm. together across mm. the whole organisation, um, which again makes it a very, very special place. What, what sort of advice would you give now to to young people? coming through because you've got these contacts in education so obviously yep. you can you can give advice etc and I see you, you've got the interest in uh, women in IT and the younger women in IT um, what sort of advice would you give to, to youngsters now is this a good career to follow <laughs> is this a yeah. good business to be in it, it's definitely mm. um, it is a good good career to be in I mean it can be what you want it to be really I think that's that's my advice mm. overall is you know get exposure to as many different things as you as you can do mm. so mm. I have somebody working with me at the moment who joined me as on a placement scheme whilst I was at partnerships for schools 
um, at university. So my advice to him then was try as many things as you possibly can while you're here for the year mm. and then work out what would be interesting. Mm. He then came back as, uh, you know, when he graduated and worked with me again. Um, and he's still you know, kind of exploring but settled on the fact that he wants to do development work. And I think you know, having given him exposure to lots of different areas, that helped mm. him settle. I think for me the biggest challenge we've got at the moment is is inspiring young people to be interested in, in technology, mm. full stop. And I think the workplace is going to be a very different place in 10, 15 years. It's a conundrum, years. that, isn't it? Because, I mean, they're all using the technology, as you said, as huge consumerization. Yeah. Uh, and yet they don't seem to be wanting to get in, in, into the... <laughs> yeah, something's got to be done for me around the, the, the curriculum and the content of the curriculum. Mm. I recently mm. went into our school with... Um, with a friend of mine to help with the Python programming and their kind of coursework they were looking at and give them some kind of general tips on development, as it were. And the piece of coursework that they're working on was modeling green fly larvae. <laughs> now, for your average 14, 15-year-old child, that's not really an interesting subject, I, mm. don't, I don't imagine. Mm. So immediately they're kind of turned off by that as a subject and they've got to re-engage. So what I've been looking at with um, some of our supplier base, likes of FDM and recently with PwC, is how can we put together a program that really inspires young people? What, what sparks their interest? Mm. And whether that's around artificial intelligence and machine learning and the correlation between computer science and maths and other subjects that they're studying, really to put on a program of events where they can sh we can showcase this technology. Because we don't know, you know how much automation and AI is actually going to impact the workplace. You know, everything from it's going to replace everybody's job to some people's job and you know everything in between. So mm. I think we need to prepare young people for, for the workplace and actually inspire them. And if you look at Silicon Valley, that you know, primary schools there are already working with this sort of stuff. Um, and we're just not here, you know, not in the game in this no. country really. So um, as a bit of a personal mission of mine, working with, uh, with a network of other people to put on a program over the next few years to see what impact we can actually make in both inspiring young students but also teachers to want to be able to uh, to pick this up and, mm. and impart that and whether that's through mm. code clubs or embedding in the curriculum we don't know yet but mm. what we do know is there's a problem that we want to to tackle as an industry sector really yeah sure so just to come back to your role as um, a cio in the organization mckinsey did a study a little while ago saying that um does the it department really partner with, with the business or not, and uh, mm. they came up with three categories. One was IT as a service, um, the other is IT as a consultant, and the other is IT as a, a partner. Where would mm. you place yourselves at the moment? Um, I'd like to think we're IT as a partner. Um, you know, we've implemented business partnering um, as a methodology, or as an approach, uh, rather, but, um, but yeah, it's early days within that. I think, you know, when you're on a journey, you go, you go through a number of those different, um, different areas, and different areas of the business have different demands, so sometimes it takes a slightly different approach um, mm. within that. So, you know, <coughs> we have standard services, which, you know, service catalogs and platforms which are available. Um, we then also try to do some consulting with them to help out, you know, work out and define what the problem is rather than jump straight to the solution. Like, mm. you know, we want mm. to roll out SharePoint. Well, why do you want to roll out SharePoint? What's the, what's the need for that? Mm. Um, and the par business partnering piece is, you know, is going to be a real key going forward. I think that's where we're going to be working hand in hand. How do you make that work? Because I've seen many attempts at it and um, 
Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the business partner goes native and goes into the business and yeah. doesn't come back. Well, we, we've had some instances of kind of project <laughs> management um, doing that, that, that side of things. I think it's about building those relationships and, and being um, clear with all involved about you know, what we're here to do, what we provide. Um, and the, the business partners we've got have really built good relationships with the, with the rest of the business. Um, mm. And that's as much about us telling our story and what we can do as much as listening to, to what their requirements and needs are. And most of you know, my job as a CIO is that kind of relationship building and networking and, and making sure that we're, we're taking pragmatic stances and views. Back to my earlier points mm. around the kind of shadow IT and saying, no, if, you know, we've lost the battle. If there is a battle, if you know, <laughs> if we say no, sorry, what's the question? Which is the approach that you kind of often find in many organisations. Um, so I think we're we're working hard to make sure that we do collaborate and we are properly in partnership. And you know, that means that the teams are, you know, working in areas of the business. And if we look at what we've done with um, the digital team as we're you know gearing up to launch our new digital platform in August, that's very much a multidisciplinary team. So whether you call that a scrum or a tribe or a squad or anything else, that's mm. a, you know, a real mix of digital marketing um, specialists from the brand and marketing team, uh, technical specialists from our data and development team in technology, and from the core CRM data team, which sits in the, the brand team as well. So you know, that's a real mix of people all come together to work together. And that's really kind of part business partnering in a sense. We don't have a business partnering um, person dedicated to that, mm, but mm. we collectively took the approach to say to make this work, we can't operate in a siloed, throw the requirement over the wall mentality. It's really got to be everybody working together. I think that's the next phase of evolution for us as a as a technology team is how do we then take that approach internally um, so that we're less structured in our four core departments and actually maybe moving towards more of that practice based approach. Know, where we have practice heads that are there for the uh, the nurturing and the uh, the kind of care for the for the staff, and actually the resource management and everything else is handled at a, at a more granular level. The teams become a bit more autonomous and manage their own workloads. Oh, so that's that's interesting. And they'd be sort of project focused, or we've yet to decide. I mean, because we've got three core strategic pillars. For example, our world class impact, which is you know the impact we make for children on the ground. What are mm, our programs mm, we deliver? Mm -hmm. Cause of Millions, which is our supporter-centric um, program and our outstanding organization one. So we could, we could structure around those as strategic pillar boards. Yeah. We could structure around It's a business focus then, yep. isn't it? Yeah. We could st structure ourselves around our technology platforms um, because they're cross-cutting, or we could um, structure ourselves around individual projects. So we're just looking at the different models that because each has their own kind of quirks and, uh, and different challenges. So that's, that's the, the journey we're on with that one at the moment. Mm. Mm. So... But a big cultural change, presumably, needed for, for those, those yeah. sorts of approach. I think so. I mean, you know, traditionally it's been a PMI, Prince2 type environment, um, mm. but slowly we're moving towards much more of an agile way, where, you know, agile with a small a or, or large <laughs> a is all, is all dependent. And, you know, part of what I've been saying is let's just let's scrap some of the kind of terminology. And when you mention agile out, out in the business, sometimes you're met with, well, that only ever works with technology projects and we're not technology, so we're not, we're not interested. Um, I think, you know, strip away that. And once you start talking about collaborative team working, which is essentially the same sort of thing, mm. um, people then you know, stand up and, and start to listen and engage a bit more. So I think we need to demystify some of the kind of terminology that's used within the industry and just make it a bit more plain English for, for general business folk that might not understand.
So the digital program, the digital transformation program, what, what, what's, the, what's the extent, what's the scope of it, what is it doing? So we had three phases, we're on phase two at the moment. So the first phase was around our, um, the original platform, which was Drupal-based, and we, we called that Brilliant Basics. So that was just about shoring up the infrastructure, making sure it's resilient, um, doing some search engine optimization, that kind of, um, kind of work, just making sure that was stable. So getting robust. the platform and the base solid. And yeah, well, the, the platform that's in existence at the time. I mean, digital used to sit wholly within the marketing department. Um, about 18 months ago, a decision was made to to move the technology element of that into the IT team um, and retain the brand marketing side in marketing. So that enabled us to apply the same kind of control as we, we would have had around release management and testing mm -hmm. process, for example, onto that platform. So six months were spent just getting that back into uh, to a shape that we... you need that stability and resilience in the digital platform, really, to enable yeah, you to move on. Yeah, exactly. You? Particularly as, you know, we, uh, we don't know when an emergency might hit, so we need the, the website to be responsive and, and work. We mm. have big campaigns. So Christmas Jumper Day, for example, is a is a big time of year, believe it or not, from um, sort of August, September time onwards for us, um, mm. culminating in everybody wearing a Christmas jumper over the Christmas period. So, mm. you know, there's lots of demand and pressure on the website there. So, you know, that was really about making sure that that was resilient and responsive at that particular time. We then moved in to procure a new um, set of technology for the digital platform, which we're, we're going to be launching in August. So that's based around the Adobe Marketing Cloud. I saw that, yeah. yeah, so we use an experience manager for content management and then analytics and target. And all of that, as I mentioned earlier, is to, to enable us to have a, a stronger connection to our supporter base. Mm, um, yeah. And that is, as I say, you know, we don't have a product to sell. So this is really about our storytelling and our engagement and making it much more personalized. Mm. So rather than it being a traditional push, mm. it can be a bit of a pull and us thinking, actually, this is what people want to hear about. Mm. Actually, if you have an interest in uh, education in, in war zones, for example, that you know, hopefully we'll be able to serve you content that's relevant to you rather than it just be a blanket-based approach. So that's phase two, um, which we're know kind of getting in that platform uh, and then phase three will be how do we take that to the next stage and then we're working hand in hand with the fundraising and brand marketing team there so working with marketing and yep. uh, yeah yeah because I, I was going to ask you a few questions around um, the myths about digital yeah and one of those is of course around uh, digital is purely about the consumer and customer and citizen engagement isn't it yeah, I think there's often the focus is, you know, digital is external and internal just kind mm. of carries on regardless. Mm. But mm. Uh, that's something, um, you know, within in government, there are a number of conversations around, uh, you know, user first, but it mm. was all citizen facing. Now, in a large government department or a small government department, you've got a bunch of users which are internally focused. Mm. So if you're not applying the same sort of standards and process for me to your internal systems, you're then effectively fast becoming inefficient mm. and then eventually mm. you'll be unable to serve your customers because you know there's no good having a laborious lengthy process internally which you you know then have to interface to a, to a, a website or mm. a presence where you want to be able to react um, very quickly mm. so mm. you know if you want to be in the moment with your supporters or your customers you need to be able to have the systems and processes internally that react and support that as a as a mode of working so you've done quite a lot of work on your CRM uh, systems. Yes, we have a we have a CRM system that's uh, has been here a while. So um, there's a core CRM team which sits in the the brand and marketing team, which mm. does uh, you know looks at our 
you know, propensity modeling, our support centricity approach. Um, so we were, again, we work with them to, to model what that's going to look like. Um, but really that does handle our offline and online media. And I think that's for the future. That's where there's going to be much more insight um, in terms of the analytics we can capture from, from the website and social media through to merging that with, um, with offline as well. So, so we you're doing that at the moment? That's in the, in the plan. So the, the analytics... learning and so on. Uh, there's, oh, there's been a, there's, yeah, so there's, um, I say propensity modeling is handled within that, that core team. They've done a couple of machine learning pilots um, within there. And again, we're looking at uh, future strategy, what we might do with artificial intelligence, for mm. example, mm. Um, how that, uh, that might work together. Mm. And uh, people mm. don't necessarily think that charities are doing this sort of work. I think I was at a that's round. What, that's what I noticed, actually, from a lot of the comments that you, you had in your, um, yeah, in, in your, uh, your website, etc., you are doing a lot of what looks like quite avant-garde stuff. I mean, you're, you're certainly talking about things like yep. blockchain yep. and drones and AI, etc., and IoT, and it, it seems quite, you know, quite forward-looking and uh, yeah, it is. go, yeah. go. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's part of, again, part of the CI role is, um, is to look at how you can add value to the business. Mm. Um, and part of that is keeping a an eye on future trends and what's happening. Um, you know, blockchain's everywhere at the moment. It's a bit like the Wild West. There's mm. so many different mm. flavors of it. Um, but we do definitely see that as being a bit of a game changer in terms mm. of the, the sector and what we're doing. So mm. we're just about to, um, to kick off a, a pilot looking at our humanitarian passport concept, that, yeah. which is where we deploy people mm. in emergency situations mm. and make mm. sure that they're pre-registered and pre-vetted. Um, so yeah, we're about to start work. Um, if I had a piece of wood, I would touch that in the next couple <laughs> of weeks as we just sign the contracts and get that going. But equally, my next meeting is around uh, kind of cash transfers and what we might do in that scenario with blockchain. Um, so that's definitely progressing. I think artificial intelligence is an interesting one. Mm. Um, you know, when we look at kind of chatbots as a basic example, mm, mm. where might, might we deploy that? Um, can you build empathy into a robot? <laughs> Not quite sure at the moment. Um, it might work with some kind of transactional-based mm. approaches. Mm. But again, globally, as we look towards more shared services and more collaboration across the members, mm. you know, there could be something mm. we can do there in terms of call handling for support calls across back office functions with artificial intelligence. And then you've got the machine learning and modeling around propensity and uh, you know, kind of actions and activity that people take. Um, but also modeling around you know, kind of data and trends in the field. So. Uh, yeah, definitely areas of interest. And Internet mm. of Things, again, you know, you know, conversation with AWS the other week around Alexa um, and how might we use kind of connected devices like that, and again, as another engagement activity. If we're trying to engage with families, we'll start using the technology and things that they have available to them in the household um, as part of that communications mechanism. And your view on cloud and cloud as an enabler and security issues around that? Presumably it is a big enabler for you. It is, yeah. yeah. So, we, you know, we have a mixed uh, model at the moment, um, but we, you know, our core Office 365 platform, our yeah. CRM yeah. SharePoint platforms yeah. are, all, are all either in the cloud or moving to the cloud. Um, yeah. And we have a number of instances in AWS, um, which, which we have to, to run various websites and presence and services. So for us, again, that is a there is a big enabler and moving to the to the model of uh, consumption based pricing rather than big capital outlay is uh, mm, again mm. an interesting one. Mm, we have a mm. information security officer that sits um, within our risk team so mm, separate mm. from IT so we're not marking our own homework so <laughs> the same rigor is applied um, you know in terms of that validation of security and process from from Ray and the um, the ISO team is to 
any, any project that we approach. So it's approached in the same way, and it's a risk-based approach. Um, but generally, our mode is to, to move as much to the cloud as we possibly can. Well, thanks very much indeed. Very much enjoyed that, and uh, all power to your elbow, I think. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks. very much.